We live in an interconnected world where the questions are complex, and so we have babble undone. And it exists to have a conversation about issues of interest to all of us or um, maybe things that make you a little little curious. I'm Johnny Moore. I'm the co-host alongside Archbishop Joseph D'Souza. I'm an American evangelical leader. He leads the Good Shepherd Movement and the All India Christian Council. He comes from the East. I come from the West. So naturally, we meet in London. Okay, Bishop, what's our topic today? Religious freedom in China. You know, a fact a lot of Christians may not realize. The foremost persecutors of Christians in the world remain communists, not Islamists. Chief among them are the North Koreans and the Chinese Communist Party, which seems to have gone from bad to worse in recent years. Yet the church in China continues to grow, now larger than the Communist Party. Yet China isn't moderating. It is becoming more vicious at a time when it is becoming more rich and more powerful. How should Christians think about the Chinese Communist Party? And there's no better person uh, to help us understand these complex issues than Benedict uh, Rogers. Um, He is the co-founder and chief executive of Hong Kong Watch, a senior analyst for East Asia at the International Human Rights Organization, Christian Solidarity Worldwide. He's the co-founder and deputy chair of the UK Conservative Party's Human Rights Commission. He's testified in the UK Parliament, the European Parliament, the US Congress, and the Japanese Parliament, and in front of the United Nations. Uh, His latest book, which we uh, definitely recommend to you, is called The China Nexus, and Ben Rogers joins us now. Ben, great to have you here. And uh, you're a brother comrade in arms, right, for many, many years for some of the same struggles and causes our audience uh, which will hear this podcast is quite diverse and uh, global and they some of them would not know your story and uh, what you've been up to so if I were if they were to ask who's Benedict Rogers what would you tell them (laughs) Um, well firstly it's great to to be with you Um, and I would say that uh, I'm first and foremost a, a Christian, um, that I uh, believe passionately in uh, human rights, human freedom, and human dignity, uh, and human life. Um, and uh, that's what motivates me in my advocacy and activism uh, for religious freedom in particular and for human rights more broadly. And how long are you doing this now, Ben? Well, in various different forms, it's it's over 30 years. I first got involved when I was a university student. Uh, I then uh, worked as a journalist for a number of years, but was involved in this uh, in my spare time. And then I went full-time for many years with uh, CSW, Christian Solidarity Worldwide. Uh, And now I uh, still do some work with CSW, but I lead an organization that I co-founded called Hong Kong Watch. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, And we hear about Hong, Hong Kong Watch and I get all of this stuff. Um, so uh, you have this unusual expertise, you know, focusing on uh, the Chinese Communist Party, on North Korea, on this, on this part of the world. It's always been relevant. It seems like it's becoming uh, more relevant now. How did you get to this expertise? Like, like what, what was it? Uh, you know, some, some people are experts on, uh, on uh, Europe and the United States. <laughs> some people study golf, you know, or, or sports. 
Um, you're one of the world's experts on this this part of the world that's with us everywhere. How, how, how did you come to this passion? Well, it started really when I was um, 18 years old and I took a, a year off between uh, high school and university and, and went off for six months to teach English uh, in uh, China, in, in the city of Qingdao on the east coast of China. And I fell in love with, uh, with China. I made many friends there. Uh, I had a wonderful experience. And I always say that um, I'm not anti-China. In fact, I'm very pro-China as a country, a people, a culture. It's the Chinese Communist Party regime that, uh, that I oppose. Um, but after that experience living in China, I, uh, I went back several times as a student. Um, I then began my working career in Hong Kong, uh, lived in Hong Kong for the first five years after the handover from 1997 to 2002. And then it was while in Hong Kong that I began to get involved with other parts of the region, so particularly Burma or Myanmar, uh, North Korea, um, Indonesia. I worked for some time on, on Pakistan as well. So, um, But it all started with my six months as an 18-year-old in, in China. And um, as you as you have worked there, you lived there, I think I came to know when you were living in Hong Kong, right? And mm. came, came there and did a conference. Mm. Um, you have seen the context with the party change, mm. right? Mm. it's not there was a period when everything was op opening up and stuff looked good and all but you have seen also the other side uh, what's 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 gone wrong what what has declined and what are we dealing with well uh, first of all it, it has gone wrong uh, across the board in, in China so Hong Kong is probably the starkest example uh, of uh, basically what was once uh, one of Asia's most uh, open, freest cities uh, being transformed by the Chinese Communist Party into one of its most repressive police states. Uh, but then we see across uh, mainland China, of course, um, a, a major crackdown on, on civil society, on human rights lawyers, uh, on religion. Uh, we see what uh, is recognized by the United States uh, government uh, and increasingly by others uh, as a genocide uh, of the Uyghurs in Xinjiang, uh, intensifying atrocities in, in Tibet, and really the worst persecution of Christians that we've seen in China since the Cultural Revolution. And all of that, I would say, has happened uh, because of the, the leadership of Xi Jinping. Um, as you said, uh, uh, in the 1990s, the first decade of the 2000s, uh, there was this sense that China was opening up. Uh, it For the first 10 years after the handover of Hong Kong, I would say China did honor its promises to Hong Kong by and large uh, in terms of a high degree of autonomy and, and Hong Kong's freedoms being maintained. And I experienced that living there. Um, the kind of conference that you came to speak to in Hong Kong, uh, what, 20 years or so ago, uh, I think would be extremely difficult to hold in Hong Kong today. Uh, and that's because the Chinese Communist Party under Xi Jinping has abandoned that uh, opening up and has really uh, resort, re reverted to um, uh, great repression. Um, and, and I think its objectives are, are twofold. Firstly, they want to eliminate any form of dissent uh, and, and even not just dissent, but difference. Uh, people who don't uh, adhere to the Communist Party's uh, way of doing things. 
But I think externally, they're, they're increasingly exerting their influence uh, and their power around the world. Uh, and their, their objective is to, is to dominate the world. So I, I, I used to go uh, between Hong Kong and, and mainland, mainland China. And, you know, I, I remember it being like two different universes entirely. I, I, the spirit that I felt in Hong Kong, you know, and I would go into China and I, and I, and I love China. Like you, I, you know, I, 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 I loved being there, but you could feel in every second, every day that you were there, um, the, the communism. And, and to me, uh, it is just incomprehensible that that great and incredible city of Hong Kong um, is, is now what it has become. And it just seems like the world stood by and watched. Um, but people in Hong Kong didn't stand by and watch. You know, they were on the streets. They were protesting. Many incredible young people were out there. Um, but I think a lot of Christians, at least in the United States, don't realize that a lot of those young people in Hong Kong and others that were protesting were motivated not just by their desire for freedom, but many of them were Christians and are Christians. That's exactly right. Uh, and there were um, regular candlelit uh, prayer vigils as, as part of the protests. Uh, some of the uh, key leaders of the pro-democracy movement of different generations uh, are, are Christians. Um, we think of, of Jimmy Lai, who's uh, uh, been in prison now for more than a thousand days. Uh, uh, we think of uh, Martin Lee, the father figure of the democracy movement, who has served a suspended sentence. He's not actually in prison, but he he's now based, effectively silenced because if he spoke out any more, uh, he would be imprisoned. Um, and then the younger generation, pe- people like Joshua Wong and um, Benny Tai, who was one of the uh, organizers of the 2014 Umbrella Movement, uh, they're, they're all Christians. Um, and, of course, the, the really inspiring figure of Cardinal Zen, who um, uh, was arrested uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, a- arresting a, a 90-something cardinal um, shows the lengths that this regime will go to. And, and uh, Ben... What what kind of insecurity? What what is it that the current leadership uh, afraid of in driving this and taking away people's freedoms, and you know, and and blatantly carrying on what we all know is a genocide there in among the Uyghur people? What's driving it? What are they afraid of? Well, I, I think you've asked exactly the right question because this is a regime that wants us to believe that it is um, incredibly confident and strong. But I actually think uh, the opposite. I, I think it is uh, a very um, fragile, insecure uh, regime. And I think it's afraid of three things. Uh, firstly, the truth. Um, secondly, freedom. Uh, and, and thirdly, difference. Um, and it basically wants everybody to... Uh, be like the party, to believe in the party and, and not to believe anything else. And um, in order to get people to do that, uh, it rules through through fear, through terror, but also through through lies and through covering up uh, the truth. And are you, uh, how, how do you see the rest of the world with all of the campaign that you have done responding to the crisis and the cries of those people who protested? And of course, you're not a happy camper as I've read it with the Pope sort of legitimizing the appointment by the party of the bishops and uh, all of that stuff. But do you think there is enough of a global 
you know, pushback on what's going on. And, and I, I have to say, um, I was cheering you on as you uh, were a voice of uh, a prophetic voice um, based upon this. Uh, what I think was a really crazy uh, thing that the, the the Vatican the Vatican did at the time. I was on the U.S. Commission for International Religious Freedom, and on uh, I think in three reports in a row in a year, I I I I joined your you and and others and 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 lamenting the fact that the Vatican would give to the Chinese Communist Party, in effect, the power to appoint their, their bishops? Like, mm. what, was, what, what is going through the minds of these, um, of these leaders that make these deals? Whether it's a business leader that's in, in pursuit of some economic benefit or, uh, or someone in, in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs here or, or in, in, uh, uh, in the State Department in the, in the United States, like, how do these irrational, idealistic, um, or, or are they actually idealistic? Should we should we be more critical of ourselves? I mean, how how do you see what happened with the Vatican and what's happening with business people and happening with happening with others? Mm. Well, a series of of really important questions there. Um, I mean, I'll start perhaps with the Vatican and then uh, uh, go broader. Um, I think that the I don't question the Pope's uh, motives in the sense that I think his um, desire is to see uh, the situation for the church in China um, improve, uh, to see religious freedom, um, uh, and uh, to and I also think he's motivated by uh, a kind of romantic um, notion around uh, the example of Matteo Ricci, the the famous Jesuit uh, who. Uh, uh, who, who, who was able to gain influence in the Chinese imperial court uh, several hundred years ago. But I do seriously question uh, the judgment of the Vatican, the, the idea that um, the Communist Party is, is like uh, the, the Chinese emperor um, uh, a few hundred years ago, and the idea that, uh, that the Vatican can do what Matteo Ricci uh, did. I think that's, that's naive. And the reality is that whatever their intentions, the, the effect of this agreement that they've signed with Beijing has made matters worse. Uh, uh, persecution of Christians, including Catholics, has intensified. Um, uh, there are uh, Catholic bishops who have been loyal to Rome for decades who uh, literally have either been jailed or, or uh, forced to retire and been replaced by Beijing's uh, nominees. Um, and um, and I think one of the worst consequences of this agreement is actually that it appears to have uh, achieved the Pope's uh, silence on these issues. I mean, this is a Pope that, to his credit, speaks out more or less every Sunday when he prays the Angelus uh, for different issues of injustice and conflict and persecution around the world. But the one part of the world that he has been almost completely silent on uh, is China. He said nothing about Hong Kong nothing about uh, Tibet, nothing about uh, the Uyghur genocide, nothing about the persecution of, of Christians. Um, and I think he's the first pope in uh, recent decades um, to actually decline to meet the Dalai Lama. Um, all his uh, recent predecessors met the Dalai Lama. So um, I think it's an incredibly sad uh, situation. And um, yeah, I, I continue to, to write about it and speak out about it and, uh, and most importantly to pray for, for change. In terms of the international community more broadly, I think slowly uh, there are signs of governments and political leaders waking up. Um, and I think a number of things have, have caused them to wake up. Um, I think the evidence that's emerged about the Uyghur genocide uh, has 
shaken consciences. I think the blatant dismantling of Hong Kong's freedoms in total violation of an international treaty, the Sino-British Joint Declaration, has caused people to wake up. Uh, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic and, and the Chinese Communist Party's lies uh, over that uh, certainly was a wake-up call. Um, and, and I think the very aggressive uh, stance of Chinese diplomats, what's become known as wolf warrior diplomacy, has, has not endeared uh, the regime in Beijing to, to people around the world. So I think we are seeing uh, some awakening, but I think it's very late in the day uh, and it's still too little. And what I would like to see is uh, countries that share democratic values, uh, uh, not just in the West, but... I'm thinking, obviously, the US, uh, Canada, European countries, the UK, Australia, but together with democracies in the region, India, Japan, uh, Korea, and, and others, um, coordinating much more together and, and recognizing that, you know, the Chinese Communist Party has what it calls the united front uh, as its vehicle for uh, advancing its objectives around the world. Well, we who believe in democracy and human rights should form a united front to counter their united front. Yeah. So um, obviously the three of us, uh, we're advocates for religious freedom, for human rights. These are things that we care about. <clears throat> but a lot of everyday Christians, you know, living their lives, uh, take, taking their kids to school, working their nine to five, you know, people uh, living in democratic countries that aren't seemingly directly affected by these things, like beyond just praying for the persecuted, like why should they care about what's happening in Beijing? Well, I think they should care for, for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, firstly, uh, uh, China is not just uh, carrying out persecution and rep repression at home. It, it is exporting it uh, to uh, other dictatorships, exporting the, the equipment, the surveillance technology uh, to, to other regimes that are carrying out uh, uh, equally horrific uh, atrocities. But also... Uh, Ultimately, if it's allowed to continue unchecked, uh, it uh, impacts our own freedoms uh, at home because uh, uh, China uh, is clearly trying to influence, infiltrate and, and undermine uh, our own uh, democracies. Um, uh, on top of that, I think there's also a, a moral and ethical uh, dimension in terms of um, you know, many of the products that we buy day to day in, in, in the shops are uh, produced either in whole or at least some of the components uh, in China. Um, and uh, much of that, not all, but much of it is made by, by slave labor, either Uyghur slave labor or other prison labor. And that ought to challenge uh, our consciences. Yeah. And, um, and you talked about the surveillance. Uh, it's probably the most developed country in terms of surveillance and targeting of, uh, of citizens, right? That's exactly right. I mean, the, the rollout of artificial intelligence, facial recognition technology um, is just extraordinary. And I haven't been able to go to China now for, for a few years. I used to go regularly, but uh, I'm, um, I know. I'm banned, basically. But, but from what I understand, um, they don't even use uh, uh, cash now, or it's extremely difficult to use cash. Uh, uh, everything is done on uh, by phone, but w when you buy things. But of course, when you pay for things on your phone in China, you're actually handing over lots of other uh, data to the authorities. Uh, this must be having consequential impact within China and its economy, 
you know, you can't take away one set of freedoms and think economically you can grow. That must have affected China quite badly in terms of its own economic development, right? This taking away of civil rights. I think I think that's right, uh, and we are seeing, of course, uh, a quite significant slowdown in uh, China's economy. China is no longer the economic miracle that uh, it was. Um, many people are talking about uh, peak China, or even the fact that we may be post-peak China. Um, and uh, and I think that as this economic slowdown uh, continues the Chinese Communist Party will find actually discontent within China grows because the sort of unspoken deal that the regime had with the people was we'll give you an economic miracle that will improve your uh, living standards uh, dramatically and in exchange you'll support us and uh, and, and not, uh, uh, not seek uh, freedoms. Well, now people have lost their freedoms and they're losing their economic miracle and I, th- I think that will lead to more discontent. I have one other question, Ben. I've heard it being said that the Jews and the Christians and the democracies, right, are raising the issue of what's going on in China and the repression and the lack of freedoms and the violence, etc. When it comes to the Uyghur people, again, the same Jews and Christians are speaking. Have you found any kind of support from the Muslim world, the Islamic world, for the for the because we don't hear their voices mm. uh, as loud, and and we are told about the brotherhood of Muslims. So uh, how come such a genocide is being carried out without any kind of uh, response from the Muslim world? Yes, I mean that's something that has troubled me uh, a lot. Uh, there are of course um, uh, individual uh, Muslim citizens uh, all over the world that that do show an interest, and there are Muslim civil society groups that that do. But in terms of the governments of Muslim majority countries, um, I can't really think of a single government that has uh, spoken out. And I can think of quite a few uh, that actually have supported China and not just turned a blind eye, but actually endorsed uh, what China is doing. Um, you know, Pakistan under Imran Khan was. Uh, uh, blatantly uh, um, uh, endorsing uh, China's policies against the Uyghurs. Saudi Arabia has has been similar, and I think it's basically that they they seem to put uh, uh, a higher um, price on their their uh, business and economic ties with China. Uh, you know, the Belt and Road Initiative has been very influential in this, um, but they're turning a blind eye to the genocide of their own fellow Muslims. Hmm. I, I'm sure you, um, like in our our experience uh, traveling around the world, uh, you've you've encountered some incredible stories, some very inspirational people. Uh, after after all of these uh, years of working on these issues, um, are there a few people, a few encounters you've had, a few stories uh, you've experienced or have been told um, that inspire you to this to this very day? De- definitely. Um, I mean, there, there, there are many. Uh, if I could think of just uh, one or two, um, uh, I mean, Jimmy Lai, who I mentioned earlier, comes immediately to mind. I, I had the privilege of, of knowing him uh, for several years. Um, and what is so uh, striking about him is his extraordinary uh, courage. Um, so, for example, uh, after the very draconian national security law was uh, imposed on Hong Kong, where most other people in Hong Kong very understandably 
wanted to keep their heads down. I, I ceased contact with a lot of people uh, because I didn't want to endanger them. Um, uh, Jimmy, in contrast, uh, asked me if I would uh, con- contribute a weekly column to his uh, newspaper, the Apple Daily, the, um, the English language version of it. Um, and I said to him, are you sure you want me writing for your newspaper in these circumstances? He said, of course, we want to push the envelope as much as we can. And I remember um, uh, for a few mo- few weeks after the national security law came in, uh, I didn't contact him. And uh, then I got, got a message saying, hey, wh- where are you? Why, why have you stopped being in touch? And I said, well, you know, I think it's obvious. And he said, no, 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 just keep in touch as normal. And we continued to be in contact until, of course, he then went to prison. So that um, incredible courage uh, uh, is uh, amazingly inspiring. I think the other person I would that, that comes to mind that who I knew very well, and this is um, not from the China context that we've been talking about, but um, certainly from the religious freedom context, was my very good friend Shabazz Bhatti uh, in Pakistan, who I worked closely with uh, in Pakistan for five years, spoke to several times a week, travelled with him several times, uh, missed a, a bomb on one occasion by five minutes. Um, and uh, he just had this incredible humility and, again, remarkable courage. Uh, and, of course, um, ultimately he was then uh, assassinated uh, uh, when he was serving as Pakistan's minister for minorities. Um, but those two people uh, come to mind as examples of of great courage, but also great humility, uh, humanity, um, and also humor, um, both of them. I, I think we think of you also as, as someone uh, who's who's courageous and unrelenting. Um, and uh, it's clear from this conversation uh, why. And we, we thank you for joining us, Ben. Thank you very well, much. You're one of our heroes. Oh, no, you, you are mine. So <laughs> thank, you. thank you for having me. Uh, you know, nobody expected when China opened up and everything was going and the economy was growing and it was becoming a major power that things would start going south so quick and so fast and then the whole clampdown on Hong Kong and the breaking of international commitments when they had made a commitment internationally to the freedom of Hong Kong. None of us expected that and now we are in this place where uh, Faith is under fire in in China. I mean, and and Ben has been in the middle of it. Uh, what do you think about his uh, passion for it? Well, I, well, first of all, you know, I was um, just so surprised by how apathetic the world was uh, about what was happening uh, in Hong Kong, and uh, and what Ben reminded us of is that the courage of so many of those act young activists in Hong Kong and older generation was a courage that came from their faith. I mean, they're Christians, many of them. And in fact, the, the, the church in the United Kingdom, um, the Chinese, uh, um, uh, church, uh, particularly because of the, the Hong Kong, uh, the, the Hong Kong immigrants, uh, hundreds of thousands of them have immigrated from Hong Kong to the UK, uh, in, in the last year and a half. Um, it is it is like a revival in 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 the in the church because because of this because these are vibrant believers and they were watching the persecution of Christians a, a, across in the mainland and they're living in their freedom and the world was silent. I mean, what happened in Hong Kong demonstrates what happens when the world is silent. Um, and and it, it, it 
as religious freedom advocates, advocates for human rights, it shows the importance of being unrelenting and never taking anything for granted. Yeah, I, I, and how how do you understand and what kind of rationale do you give as, uh, in this case, the people of Hong Kong and others feel, genuinely feel, they, they raised their voice, they protested. I guess the Iranian women also would say that. They didn't get the kind of support that they felt should have come from the free democracies and pressure. And somebody should have said, hey, uh, have you come to a place where Western democracies or whoever, money trumps everything, just like Saudi Arabia, and they don't speak about the Uyghurs and Pakistan don't. So money has become more important than human beings? You know, this... I can't imagine being a, uh, a a woman in Iran or a young person in Iran, you know, that just went through all of these all of these protests and watching the world um, potentially abandon you or the or the young young people in Hong Kong. But as Christians, uh, evangelical Christians alone, there's hundreds and hundreds of millions of us, and you put the the Catholic and the Orthodox community together, there is no issue in the world where we as a church as a collective body, or even through our individual denominations, even our smaller denominations, uh, aren't powerful enough to make a difference if we just raise our voice. And we should be raising our voice every single day for these issues. And we should be praying every single day for these issues. And it doesn't matter what governments do if hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of people raise their voice. Uh, and I, 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 was, I was quite optimistic about China a dozen years ago, 10 years ago. I was talking about China, you know, changing. We were hearing positive things from the, from the church. And, I, uh, you know, I, I, in fact, I remember a few years ago I was writing, um, writing a book, and uh, I, was, I was thinking about China and Saudi Arabia. And I was optimistic about China, and I was pessimistic about Saudi Arabia. And what's happened is I've seen the exact opposite. I've seen... I've seen uh, I've seen China relapse to the Cultural Revolution and Saudi Arabia, you know, moving in the direction of peace with uh, with Israel uh, and taking the religious police off the streets. Like it it just shows the unpredictability of the world. Um, But we also have to remember that a little bit of change doesn't mean uh, that that is a, a prediction of the future. And we have to. As believers, and if you have any influence in the public square or if you're an elected official or your CEO or in the C-suite or, or a manager in a business, in a nonprofit, whatever you're doing, you have to speak up. And I, I just pray to God that as Christians, we would pray for these people the way we hope someone would pray for us, raise our voice the way we hope someone would raise their voice for us, give, do all of these things. Because it actually does make a difference. There's one thing I agree with with Ben Bishop. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party wants us to think that they're strong. But they're much weaker uh, than, than they want us to believe that they are. And um, what they're good at is they're good at deceiving the world, uh, selling the world this, uh, this story of the Chinese economic miracle. Um, the Chinese people are the most brilliant people on the planet. Um, a free China would be the biggest competition uh, the United States or, or anybody. The United, anybody had ever seen. Um, 
but the exact opposite has happened. Um, this leader in this party has crushed um, one of the greatest civilizations in human history. But I'm, but I'm not sure that's the end of the story either. Uh, I, I think so, that, that, that this may not be the end of the story uh, because, you know, time is a very in, uh, interesting way of uh, changing and moving things. And peop- what, what, what society thinks or people think or leaders think, I am permanent. They realize they are not permanent. But going back to your comment, the, one of the sad things is in a world with crisis, etc., uh, is the fact that we got this huge constituency of Christians, Catholics, Protestants, believers, and all. And uh, we are not able to understand that, that apathy is not possible. That when these people suffer, it's Jesus crying out and saying, you know, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I, mm. I'm imprisoned. What are you going Somehow, a very privatized, individualistic Christianity uh, needs to needs to be shattered so that it becomes loving God and loving your neighbor more than thinking about yourself. And it's not like this is ambiguous either. I mean, th- this is slave labor. Millions of people put into camps. I mean, this is the full-scale destruction of culture and religion and everything else. It's not. It's not like you. No one listening to us will one day be able to say, "I didn't know this." was happening. We will all have to answer what we chose or didn't choose to do about it. Yeah, and it's good that there are people who will speak about it. And when history looks, you know, looks at this time, there should be people who are not silent and for the sake of human history, this this needs to be on the record that voice was raised. And one final uh, reflection we heard about the growth of uh, the faith in China, right? All kinds of numbers and the guys in Washington who, who wrote about this, etc. And I think about those tens of millions of believers in China right mm. now. You know, how are they coping? What are they doing? One thing I'm sure, no regime, no party can wipe out the church there. <laughs> I'm very sure. It will rise. Amen. It will come up. No repression because... You, you, if you don't understand the nature of a Christian faith, it's not institutional, it's not political, it's not based on money, it's not based on inducement. It is based on the work of the Spirit and, and the Word of God. And once that takes root, it's not going to finish. Amen, Bishop. Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Babel Undone. If this conversation had you thinking, then why don't you share it with someone else? For more episodes of Babel Undone or other amazing content that helps Christians live out their faith, you should head over to premiere.plus. That's premiere, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, for the Americans listening in, dot plus.